Welcome back. If you're just joining, this week on Inspired by Interfaith Voices, we're talking about God and guns. We now turn from politics to philosophy and theology. My next guest is Michael Austin, a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University, and he's the author of God, Guns, and America. It's published by Christian publishing house Erdman's. And when you read it, you can hear that he's not speaking to just anyone. He's trying to reach evangelicals and invite them to wrestle with questions about what a Christian's relationship to guns should look like. It's not an unfamiliar issue, and it's deeply personal. Austin was gifted his first gun before he was born, and he sees the country and his faith at a crossroads. After traveling and speaking to pastors, church and ministry leaders, academics and denominational executives around the country, he thought he understood the debate and the difficulty. But that changed when his brother, an ordained pastor, shared a product that crystallized the degree and magnitude of the struggle. Inside a black leather zippered case embossed with Holy Bible in gold, Bible in fact, but a pistol holder. On the right, a place for a gun. On the left, an elastic band to hold cartridges. Austin writes that seeing that challenged him to not only talk about the philosophical and theological, but also the industry that is marketing products for those wanting to conceal and carry undetected in church or anywhere else. Let's get to the conversation. You're a philosopher, you're an ethicist. The question that you wrestle with in your book, can a Christian own a gun? Should a Christian own a gun? Why those questions and what did you find in that journey? Yeah, it was difficult because there's, for one thing, there's of course a lot of violence in the the Bible. But for me, it was interesting. I've always sort of been a just war, justified violence person. So the idea then for me, it was always like, look, if you're going to be a pacifist, what do you do about Hitler? in terms of international warfare. Or if you're going to be a pacifist in your personal life, what about the sort of classic case somebody breaks into your house or is harming your a family member or you? And then I would think, well, violence is justified in those cases. But as I started reading through the texts of, of Scripture and New Testament and Hebrew Bible scholars, just the weight of the burden, I felt much greater if you're going to say violence is justified. Really? So in the process of writing this book, you found yourself moving back towards that approach or that view of violence? Yeah, I found the pacifist view a lot more plausible, both from a, just a like a religious or theological perspective, and then even just my own moral one. For me, those two go together. I found myself really challenged by, not just by the words of Jesus, but other parts in the New Testament, even some stuff in the Old Testament, um, which we tend to think more of as, as pro-violence in a way. You know, it says God hates violence. You know, David's not allowed into the temple because he was a warrior that shed blood. So there is this thread throughout the whole Bible. I thought about it more deeply and more than just a caricature. And so can a Christian own a gun? The answer would be yes. But I think it's a tough decision because I think if you're going to own a gun for any purpose, but including self-defense, you've got to get a lot of training, safety, how to use it, take classes. But As a friend of mine took the class in self-defense, how to use a firearm, and he was told the first time that you shouldn't have a gun for self-defense in your home or take one out of your house with you unless you've decided in your mind that you will use it to kill somebody if the situation arises. Because if you go into a situation and you hesitate or you're not sure, instructor told him basically you've introduced more danger to yourself and others by having the firearm. 
than you would otherwise. And I don't think a lot of Christians think about that enough. In the book, what I try to push a lot is that that's a deeply moral, ethical, and for Christians, religious question. You have to like reason through and think through. And if you have a religious faith, pray through, get advice about, not just, well, I want to protect my family, I'm going to carry a gun. Because I think it's not a flippant decision to be made like that. And at least from a Christian perspective, the fact that all human beings are made in God's image, they all have intrinsic worth and dignity. The decision that you make to end the life of somebody, to take the life of somebody, even the criminal, right? They still have that same basic worth. That's a momentous decision. And then, How does someone say, I want to ensure there are no legal rights to abort a life, but I want the right to abort a life if I feel threatened? Yeah. Reconcile that for me. The only way you can reconcile that, or at least possibly can, is that in the abortion case, so if someone who's pro-life thinks that you know, the fetus is fully human, has full rights as you or I have, then their right to life is being violated. But when somebody, for example, breaks into my house and feel like a child or my wife or a friend's life is in danger, that person, while they have a right to life, they've forfeited it by infringing upon my or my loved one's right to life. So morally speaking, that would be the difference between the two cases. But where I would say there's hypocrisy or inconsistency is to say, we're going to use the law to restrict abortion rights, but I don't want any laws restricting my rights to guns, even if it's going to save innocent lives. It's that, no, we need to have the status quo with guns when there are things that we can do demonstrably to reduce gun violence while protecting those gun ownership rights. That's what's inconsistent to me, because in one case, you're willing to restrict someone's choices in terms of the abortion case, but you don't want your own restricted at all. How do you see getting Christian gun owners and users to do what you're describing, to wrestle with the philosophical theological questions that you lift up in your book? Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard thing. I guess what I try to do is challenge Christians to think by your belief system, that that criminal, uh, the person you're afraid of, whoever it is, they have, they have the same worth in God's eyes, exact same worth as you do. And so their life's not worth any less than yours or mine. And we have to wrestle with that and get them to think about that. And I think if you can find common ground and then build from there, right? So that we're all made in God's image, um, that, that the status quo is not acceptable, right? There are things we can do to reduce gun violence while protecting the rights of responsible gun owners. I've had some conversations with people where it doesn't go anywhere, but I've had some with others even recently and they, yeah, they were thoughtful. So, but it's part of a larger problem in Christianity in America. And I guess I would say, especially some branches of evangelical Christianity, there's still an anti-intellectualism and a sort of proof texting of the Bible, baptizing cliches and slogans. And so trying to just ask questions, be curious. Do you feel that where we are culturally in the society today, do you see a place where these kinds of conversations and where there can be, you know, and I'm going to use the expression common sense gun laws? Yeah. Yeah. I think that even in these last two weeks, you know, it's the same pattern same sort of conversation and people staking out their ground back and forth. I've seen the NRA and others talk about Second Amendment rights are absolute, but that's just just false, right? The Supreme Court decisions from 2008 and 2010 about that said that like most of our rights, there are limits. And usually those limits have to do with harm to other people. 
you can still have a strong Second Amendment right, but there can be things we can do that won't infringe on that right, but also could reduce gun violence. Right? We're still going to have gun violence, but we can have less. Uh, I think that's the realistic goal. Yeah, there is a message out there that it's not guns that kill people. It's people who kill people. And I was reading recently, someone said, wait a minute, that's oversimplification and inaccurate. It's both guns in the hands of people. Yeah, of course, guns don't kill people by themselves, but they make it a lot easier to kill people and a lot more people in a shorter period of time. From a Christian perspective, given views about human nature, why give somebody that power, especially if there are good reasons I think they'll misuse it. And I wonder when you think about um, this idea of how the culture of protect your family and protect your faith and defend, it is incredibly adversarial. It is uh, almost a, a militancy and a predisposition to not seeing a world in which bridges can be built, mm-hmm. where threats are everywhere. Yeah. I think we see that in a lot of different things, right? Whether it, you know, before the shootings the past couple of weeks, a lot of the conversation was about, at least in some religious circles in the U.S., was about public school and critical race theory and sort of there's always like this sort of us versus them thing. I guess I worry about that not just in, well, it just seems to be worse in the past four or five years in general in the United States, the us versus them. The you know, it's almost a cliche now to talk about our society being polarized, but from what what I've seen that there's good evidence that it is right. People actually tend to be more uniformly conservative on all their views, more uniformly progressive or liberal. Um, there aren't a lot of sort of variations. And so being a really strong second amendment rights person is part of being conservative, being against it as part of being liberal or progressive. And then, yeah, just that picture of us versus them of the good guys versus the bad guys. And I feel like a lot of the rhetoric and a lot of what's happened, especially with, for example, the NRA again, is that fear, you know. And in fact, most people who buy guns for that sort of self-protection that are marketed to are middle class and up, rural, you know, not urban, white, fairly affluent. They're the ones that are least likely to be the target of violence. And so that's an interesting feature of the whole thing as well. You just described a scenario of a person feeling displaced, insecure, uncertain, almost primed to be afraid. Mm -hmm. If we hold that Christian beliefs are part and parcel of this idea of being able to bear arms, I am curious how that tradition, how the theology that has evolved to make meaning in this day, how that's being applied to the reality you just described. Yeah, and I think this is one where it's just the case when I talked to like philosophers, Christian ethicists, others from other countries. I remember having a, a conversation with somebody from the United Kingdom a couple of years ago, uh, Australia. They look in from the outside from their sort of Christian commitments and just think, well, I, they don't get it. And I think that this is one of those cases of the a certain kind of American exceptionalism that in some ways is co-opted, maybe a Bible verse here or there, or just somehow... <laughs> This, this notion of, of guns and arm yourself has become part of what it means to be a Christian in America. When you take that into consideration and you hear that, as a Christian ethicist, what does that raise for you? 
But yeah, I, th- I guess that just bothers me because it's a politicization of a, a term that was supposed to mark out, you know, faith commitments. Basically, political beliefs are upstream, so to speak, from theological and religious ones. But, you know, it's supposed to be the other way around for people of faith, right? Our faith is supposed to, it's supposed to challenge us. It's supposed to um, dictate in a certain sense, or at least shape how we view politics. Politics shouldn't be shaping our view of faith, right? It should be the other way around. But I think that's just not the case. And I mean, that's part of what I'm trying to do in the book and other people that I'm, that I'm working with on some of these issues is, is trying to call people who do have that faith commitment to say, look, think about this more deeply. Go back to our tradition, to, to the Bible, to the scriptures. How can we reconcile these things? Can we? And some things we can, some things we can't. And, and just getting people to do that. And I think it has to be done in community more than just as individuals. Where where are the moderates and what are they doing? Yeah, I think some. I think it's difficult even to be a moderate as a as a pastor. Explain what you mean when you yeah. say it is difficult to be a moderate pastor. Yeah, on this issue uh, and probably others. But yeah, so I, I had a conversation with one and he brought this guns issue up. He's a pastor in Virginia. And just what's kind of some of the the men from his church, the older leadership, it was some kind of men's breakfast. And he brought this up and some of them were like, don't do that. We don't want to talk. Like it was safe, like it was just off limits for even the conversation. I think there's that kind of resistance. I've talked to churches who say, we don't want to step into this because we don't want to be seen as, you know, pro gun control or as taking a stand one way or the other on the issue because it's so volatile. Um, look, there are churches where if a pastor came out and brought this up, it would cause a lot of friction. And depending on, you know, the setup and how decisions are made, his or her job could be at risk. Do you think that these mass shootings taking place in spaces like churches and grocery stores and public schools is going to shift the conversation in Christian circles. Yeah, I want to say yes. Um, I guess sometimes the loudest voices are the ones that are more in Christian circles, like one end or the other, and that's not necessarily bad. But often, like in the more sort of white evangelical spaces, this sort of the pro-gun thing is just sort of taken as a given for, for many people. So I'm hopeful that it can some, but, you know, sometimes you just think, well, if, if Sandy Hook didn't do it, why will, you know, Uvalde or Tulsa or Ames? But it does, I don't know, I'm hopeful that there is a change. You know, David Hogg, he was one of the students at Parkland, survived that, and then has been involved in the gun or sort of movement to reduce gun violence. So I've seen him say online, this is different. He's had people contacting him. He feels like it's different. He's in the midst of activism with this stuff. So I think it's possible. I think... What needs to happen? But the hard thing is that the House passed a few years ago, right? A, a bill about universal background checks, and you know, my state's own senator McConnell just won't even let it be debated, much less voted on, uh, brought to vote on the Senate floor. So that's that's a barrier. But I hope that I sense increasing momentum. I just hope we don't get distracted by the next big thing that happens. Dr. Michael Austin is a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University and a senior fellow at the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute in Washington, D.C. Austin is the author of several titles, his most recent, 
God, Guns, and America was released by Erdman's in May of 2020. That's all for this week's show. If you missed any part, you can stream it online at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or really the podcaster of your choice. Just search Interfaith Voices. And while you're there, help us out. Leave a rating and a review. It helps others find us. A special thanks to MC Yogi for our theme music, additional music by Blue Dot Sessions, and a special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Remember to stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. I'll see you next week. <laughs>